0: Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. Special thanks to listener Belen Green. Belen Green, thank you for your support. Through the Anchor app, Belen has committed a nominal amount um, per month to help support What the Fockery. And thank you. You know, every time it's like that moment of why, why, why a listener does something like this, and it just keeps me going. So thank you, Belen Green. And uh, also, oh my gosh, have you guys gone onto the Apple app at all just to read the reviews and the ratings? Thank you all who have taken the time to write reviews and offer a rating. And if you haven't done so, consider doing that a five-star rating is super cool. So far it is, it's holding up, but a Mrs. Antigua wrote, Nadege's hosting is what I like to call edutainment. Very few understand how to mix the two. Now, what I'm excited about is the term edutainment. Now, What the Fockery is classified as a podcast about society and culture, which it is, but it is education and entertainment married together, and I hope you guys agree with that review. Thank you, Mrs. Antigua. You rock, Uh, and I'd love to have more shout-outs to offer, so listeners, please hop on over to wherever you listen. Give it a rating, a follow, and a review. Um, I love men. <laughs> men. Men, 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 men. Nadej August loves men. Um, and, and I don't mean sexually. I mean, I'm just not one of these people who hates men. Even those who have been arguably complete a-holes, I still like them as people, as gender. Uh, especially when they do things like protect, fix things, provide, and not necessarily the material sense. Now, I hope I'm not alienating anyone who does not identify as six gender or non-binary. I'm just talking about this figure, right? There is something completely comforting about that other half That energy, that male energy. And when it comes together with a feminine who nurtures, boy, it's beautiful. It's magic. And that's what I felt like in the presence of three of the four men. Now, I'm going to encourage you to please listen to the Interracial Love Her episode, which is episode 46. Um, because at, per Susan Dalian's suggestion, um, we were able to gather the men and, uh, three of, of the four men agreed and came on. And that's the episode you'll get to hear. Episode 47 is about interracial marriages and specifically to the men, uh, who are married to Mona Holmes. That's Craig Nisker, Shirley Jordan. That is Mr. Jeff Schaefer and Suze, Susie Hawk, Susan Dalian, whose husband is Tom Johnson. This conversation, I know listeners, I am one of those people, as some another reviewer wrote. I kind of just get straight to the point. And this went on a little longer than what I'd like for it to, but remember, I am, we are talking to three different individuals in this case. Uh, the man actually, you know, I'm going to need you to listen and compare because their Reader's Digest version of their love story with the women differs slightly and uh, it might be fun to get feedback from from them and from um, you listeners and you might enjoy hearing the differences. So I'm not going to linger. I am going to say... What the fuckery is interracial love? Him? <laughs> Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August, your host, and if this is your first time, welcome, and here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about, a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, experiences, or concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. So the men are now joining us. We have uh, Craig Nisker, who is Mona Hong's husband. Hi, Craig.
1: Hello. I'm on Mona's computer. It says Mona.
0: It says Mona. <laughs> she, she, you belong to her. Apparently. <laughs> now, this was of your own volition. You weren't forced to coerced into this situation. No. No. How did you two meet? What's your uh, love story?
1: Well, um, at a funeral. Um, if you ever saw Wedding Crashers, I'm Will Farrell apparently. Uh, so yeah, we, we, I, the, the person who died was an acquaintance of mine. He was, he was gay and Indian. That becomes relevant in the story later. Um, he had two best girlfriends, my wife, Mona, who's black and a, a blonde woman named Crystal. Well, Crystal and I were hanging out a bit and this guy at tool, died in her arms and she called me for support. So I went to the funeral. I had met him a couple times. So I went to the funeral more like supporting my friend. And in a Hindi funeral, they lay the body out and everybody there has to go up and they have a table full of rose petals and you have to sprinkle some of the rose petals on the body. I see Mona and her sister walking up and I'm like, like, from across the room. That was done. I mean, it kind of kept going that day. I, I can give you more if you want the rest of it. But, yes?
0: Well, how how did you ask her out? Like, what happened? Oh, okay, okay. So, jaw well, drops. So, for the okay. audience, uh, my listeners, he's, he mouthed, like, that jaw dropping. Oh, right. We're not doing a
1: video thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, like, basically, okay. So, uh, later that day, we're going to have, uh, there's, like, a... Uh, like everybody went back to the guy's house in his backyard and they had, you know, food and whatever. So I go back and um, I'm hanging out and with my buddy. And apparently Mona told me this later, one of her buddies, cause she knew all these guys from when she worked in restaurants in LA. And um, she was living in DC at the time. That's relevant too. Uh, so her buddy, Matt goes that guy over there pointing at me going straight again. She goes, well, Probably gay, like everybody here. And he's like, okay, go check him out. So Mona comes over and starts talking to me. And I'm like, Oh, I forgot. I met her for a second at the end of the funeral. I'm standing with Crystal, and Mona comes up to say hi to Crystal. And I'm like literally with my jaw. I feel like she was standing on my tongue when she came, right? And I'm just like looking at her. And and finally she turns to me like, Who are you? Like, doesn't say that, but like has this look on her face, like, Who the hell are you? I'm Mona. Is what she says, right? And I'm like, couldn't, I feel like I couldn't remember my name. I don't know if I actually said it or not because I was just felt like I couldn't speak. So anyway, she's talking to Crystal, whatever. They're crying together because they know each other, obviously. We go back to the house. Matt says, go check him out. She comes over. She's talking to me. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, oh, wow. Like, she's talking to me. I'm thinking she's like hitting on me, right? This is awesome. And then I find out, oh, she lives in DC. I'm like, oh. Sucks so okay, so I just like think nothing of it. So I go back to work, and my I'm supposed to go to a, like awake that night at the restaurant that Mona and Atul worked at, and all these people worked at. And I just wanted to stay and work on my film, and my assistant's going, No, no, you should go because he wanted the computers. He's like, You should go, like, funerals are cool, you meet really interesting people, and blah blah blah. So I'm like, Okay, fine. So I go to the thing. And Crystal greets me because she's hosting the whole thing. And there's a huge table. And you kind of have to squeeze around the back. when there's two open seats. And beside one of them is Mona. So I end up sitting between Mona and Crystal. So I'm chatting with her. And Crystal's, like, not there the whole time. So I'm talking to Mona, talking to Mona, talking to Mona. And finally, she asks me about my buddy. Like, oh, that's your boyfriend. I'm like, no, that's not my boyfriend. I like girls. I like you. Why do you think I'm sitting here? Like, I'm talking to you. She's like, what? And so she lived in D.C. and I lived here. So it was like, do film. At which so.
0: point did Mona move to L.A. then?
1: Well, after we had, eight months after we met, I kept saying, move. She grew, she's from here. She grew up here. But she was living in D.C. working for a okay. lawyer's website.
0: Got it. Like, so it was an easy was move. Heard about. What? It was sort of an easy move.
1: Yeah. She had family here. She had friends here. She had, I mean, we went to a party one time that a, a, friends of mine and we're sitting there and she's like, wow, that guy looks like a guy I used to work with. at I'm like, probably is. Cause half the people here work. She just looking around the room realizing she knew half the people in the room. And, was, and then we started talking we like realized we had been at the same parties in the nineties together wow. and stuff like that. And the one time she was in Toronto by herself, I was there at that time. I'm from Toronto. And I feel like I walk past her. Like I feel that. Like it's just weird. It's just like this weird.
0: So it was meant to be. Question. Was Mona the first uh woman of color you had dated at that point?
1: For well, no. I mean, uh my previous girlfriend was uh Indian, like from born in India. Um I'm from Toronto, so there's it's a large Indian community.
0: Um So Mona was not your first. (laughs) No, no, no. What is your Reader's Digest version (laughs) of your love affair with Shirley?
2: You know, I I had to sit here and think about how this was going to go listening to uh, Craig's story. But Shirley and I met at a jazz club in New York. Uh, As young actors in New York, you know, you're struggling along and working in um, bars and restaurants and whatever. And I had worked in this place, left town to do a show, came back and Shirley was working there. And one night in the little staff dinner before we got going, uh, I guess I had met Shirley at that point, but uh, she said to me, I think maybe the next night, you know, I had a dream about you. I may not be the quickest guy on the planet, but when a woman as attractive as Shirley is and vivacious and fun tells me that she had a dream about me, it sort of made me, you know, take notice a little more. And I think I came out with some lame line. And of course, you know, and she was not interested. And and so I uh, pursued her again uh, quickly after that. And we uh, ended up, um, you know, uh, going out staying in and we never left. And, um, it was, uh, my good fortune, uh, 37 years ago.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: We just, uh, we just celebrated our 30th uh, wedding anniversary last week. And, uh, we both were reflecting on how fortunate we felt like we are because we're still happily in love and going down the road together. Mm-hmm. So that's really, uh, it, uh, surely was my, first woman of color and uh, I think you know reflecting upon that in this podcast uh, I think Shirley and I have always been or maybe considered ourselves fortunate uh, in as much as we've lived in New York City and Los Angeles our entire adult life and we uh, even in Los Angeles raising our son we live in Culver City a very multicultural Hub. When you look at the pictures of the the classrooms at at this local schools, it's a it's really a beautiful sort of um, rainbow, polyglot of uh, of everybody. And in fact, when before our son even started school, I had we were running an apartment complex, and I had to do earthquake inspections after the big one uh, back in the '90s. And I came home that night and I said, Shirley, I was in all these people's apartments today. And I was looking at all these school pictures and I said, ironically, we, we ended up settling in the right place and uh, it's worked out very well for us. Um, so in that regard, we have had, um, I'm sure there's been occasions when people have looked at us sideways, um, especially since not being uh, pioneers at this, but certainly going back As long as we've been together, it was more unusual uh, back in the day. But we've been fortunate to live in communities and surrounded by supportive groups of people that it's that part of our relationship has never really been an issue.
0: Before I even go to Tom, and Tom, thank you for being so patient. Um, I've got to ask you, since you're opening that can of worm, how did your family Take it? Was there any dissension at all?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you put it that way because over the years, the one thing I have noticed is when uh, friends or acquaintances find out that um, I'm in a long term relationship, interracial relationship, it's interesting to me, or I've taken note over the years, that I'm asked how my family felt about it. Nobody ever asks how was Shirley's family with this? And I always found that to be kind of curious, so much so that whenever anybody does put it in that respect, it, it always, I, I always take note of it, and it's, it's rare. But, uh, you know, the good news for me is, even though I was raised in a, a small uh, town, a village, really, in New Jersey, um, that was 99.9% white and Protestant, um, I was raised by good people, and uh, uh, also raised, came of age in the '60s when sort of there was more enlightenment in general. So my family was um, my family was very accepting of the whole thing. All they cared about was that um, Shirley and I were a good match, and she was a good person, and that was evident the first time uh, they met her. So for, for, you know, for us, it has not been a conflict in that respect. And I might add that her family uh, equally embraced me uh, right from the get go. And, um, you know, uh, obviously were people that were also more inclined to uh, inquire about what the individual was like and not be hung up on any sort of uh, societal prejudice.
0: Were you ever pulled aside, uh, by a family member? And I, and I will tell you later on why I, I am bringing that up. Um, I understand that mothers and fathers, immediate family tend to be more, uh, accepting and supportive in situations like those. But there's often that, that uncle or that distant aunt or someone <laughs> who's older who may, you know, ah, pull you aside and give you a little talking to and point out how hard, hard life is going to be for the both of you. In America, You know,
2: you know it, uh, <clears throat> actually, my dad, who was uh, a very um, loving guy, very open minded. And uh, he, once it appeared that Shirley and I were going to go down the, the path together, he did actually. One day in a conversation said to me, he said, look, he said, you know, I'm your I'm your dad, so I want to express to you or at least bring this up something you may not have thought of because we were 27 28 years old at the time and he said we love Shirley and totally get your relationship but he said you know the one thing and of course being of an older even more removed generation that that he was and brought up in a uh, different. And time.
0: Right?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. He was uh my dad my dad uh, was in the Second World War, so he's he's uh if he were alive today he would be ninety three years old so he's quite a while ago that he would came of a, came of age. But he said, you know, the one thing I want to point out to you is if you and Shirley have children, mm-hmm. this might be an issue for them. And, you know, I, of course, in my head was thinking, oh, well, you know, <laughs> that really is not going to be an issue. Uh, but, of course, I was raised in a different time, in a different headspace, in a different society. And he did not uh, approach it um, from any racist point of view. He approached it from a, Practical. a concerned point of view. Practical. Practical. Practical, loving, supportive. And I, I just, you know, I, I I thanked him for being that concerned. Uh, but I told him that, you know, in this time, I didn't think that this was going to be an issue. And I would say that, um, you know, I appreciated his concern. But I believe that time had moved on. And that has proven to be the case.
0: Did he get a chance to meet your grandson? No. His grandson. No. No,
2: he didn't. He, wow. he passed early and, and you know, one day we were driving in the car, my son and I, and he was sitting in the front seat next to me. And he, he said, uh, I said something about my dad and Jordan was five. And he looked up at me with these big eyes and he said, gosh, you know, dad, I, your dad sounds like a great guy. I wish I could have met him. Oh. And I, I'm like, you know, driving the car and tears are, you know, coming. And I just thought, yeah, I wish you could have also. but Oddly enough, my son reminds me a lot of my father. So, you know, there's that whole nature and nurture thing, and you never quite know how kids are going to come along like that, but they actually are very, uh, very similar.
0: Oh, how wonderful. Thank you, Jeffrey. I'm going to hop over to Tom, and uh, we'll get back to you. Tom, thank you for being patient. You've heard quite a few stories there, huh?
3: My pleasure. It's good to be here.
0: Yes. Yes. So, Tom, you are married to the lovely Susan Dalian. I am. You have a gorgeous little daughter. I do. And I say that because I've met her, <laughs> virtually, of course. What is your Reader's Digest version of your love story with Susan?
3: Well, we, we were actually set up, um, which is kind of funny because neither of us really wanted to be set up. With someone else, uh, it was uh, a friend of mine started dating a friend of Susan's, and uh, I was on a ski trip up in uh, at Mammoth Mountain, and I don't recall exactly why they thought Susan would be perfect for me and I would be perfect for Susan, um, but I I do remember that uh, it had something to do. We were you know it was a ski trip drinking conversation late at night, you know, we were talking about uh, all manner of intellectual things, I suppose, and probably uh, doing it badly. Uh, and I, I remember a conversation came up around Buddhism and, uh, and Tibet and Susan had just come back from kind of a, a trip to Tibet, uh, a pilgrimage where she went and trekked around Mount Kailash and had spent, uh, I think the better part of a month uh, kind of in that part of the world. And uh, I was fascinated and uh, they said, we, we, we think we, you guys should uh, meet each other and they were bound and determined to set us up. Uh, but nothing happened and uh, this, but this persisted, they were very persistent uh, with me and with Susan too. And so finally they arranged a, uh, a meeting and neither one of us wanted to go. I, I wanted to cancel, I, I intended to cancel. But I procrastinated and uh, just, it was too late. I'd just be a big dick to, you know, <laughs> cancel well, with an hour or so to go.
0: And ghosting was not a thing yet.
3: Exactly. Today exactly. you would have just this, ghosted. This was, this was early 2000s. Um, and I was living in Topanga Canyon at the time and had to schlep all the way to Hollywood and was exhausted. And so anyway, I, I totally planned to kind of make an appearance and, and, and bail. And she did the same thing she actually created an elaborate excuse to get out of the thing. Uh, And I think she had gone to some uh, screening of a Noam Chomsky film or something earlier and had to meet up with some people afterwards. And so we had these elaborate ruses to escape each other. And then when we met, we, we just, we were smitten pretty instantly. I mean, if, if your listeners get anything out of the conversation with the ladies, it's that my wife has a, a, a pretty, infectious energy and just dynamism and I was I was quite taken and that night we uh our friends tried to hang with us but they you know they they only made it a few hours we ended up staying out till about five in the morning we ended up at the 101 cafe and uh like eating waffles you know early morning and you know from then on we just things aligned well uh I and you know, for the sake of the podcast and our conversation today i I don't believe I knew she was African American going into the setup um and, and if I did oh, so your I, friends I'm,
0: didn't I, mention it
3: no, I don't think so uh I mean I think they they would have assumed that I wouldn't care they they knew me pretty well uh, and and if i did if they did mention it, I guess it goes to show that i how much I didn't care, given that I don't even recall. Given
0: that was. you didn't want to go.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I know it wasn't because of that. It was just because I didn't want to go on a set-up date, basically. Um, so, you know, and then we, I think the next step was our dogs had to meet. I was living in some, uh, I, at the time I was a graduate student and I was teaching literature and living in this weird kind of cool hippie shack up in Topanga and Uh, she brought her dog out there and we started walking the fire roads up there and just, uh, I think she kind of liked that. I was doing a lot of surfing and kind of had this easy vibe going up there. And I think she, she kind of dug it. And we spent a lot of time up there. My place was kind of like a retreat really in the woods and uh, we we just, we just hit it off well and spent a lot of quality time. And then she was living in Hollywood. So we kind of had, my place was the retreat. Her place was the nightlife in, in the middle of everything. Correct. And, uh, yeah. And we just, we just kind of went from there. Um, and, uh, and, and didn't How's,
0: really, how soon after did you propose to her?
3: Um, let's see. That's a really good question that I should probably know the answer to. Uh, it would be, uh, probably two years, I think, uh, one to two years. I think did we, you... We were we met in about two thousand. We got married in two thousand five, and I believe we started hanging out around two thousand
0: three. Did you con? Did you check in with family before popping the question?
3: You know, no, no, not really. I mean, my family, my family met, uh, knew her quite well by the time uh, I popped the question. Uh, And it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, my my origin story, I'm as I'm essentially as white bread as you can get. I grew up in Indiana. Uh, you know, I, I, I did not grow up around people of color. I uh, and was around politically conservative people uh, pretty much all my life until high school. I, I went to a high school that was very mixed largely because of busing actually in the 80s uh the kind of results of, of of federal busing uh legislation were starting to happen and i uh in middle school um was redistricted and so i went to a very mixed uh middle school and high school but even even still i, I was raised uh, like jeff i was raised by very good people and just uh from a very early age uh just kind of understood that race was a construct. I mean, it was just apparent to me. It, it, it was never a struggle to understand. And I was that way my whole life, even though, even though I grew up in a very white world and uh, you know, didn't have a, a lot of contact until I was a jock. So I, I hung out with a lot of, a lot of black guys, uh, you know, through high school and and into college. Um, but uh, yeah, my, and my family, just they're enlightened people, you know, even even given our background. And I mean, I was surrounded by a, a, a decent bit of racism uh, and some white supremacy. And, you know, it was in my life, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I have plenty of kind of ugly stories uh, from my childhood growing up where I grew up. Um, but, you know, I, I, I there's a reason my whole family moved to Los Angeles. My, my sister started first, right? She moved out. I had an uncle who lived out in LA and we just, that was, that was more who we are. You know, that was our vibe. She moved out for college. I ended up f- moving out for graduate school. And then my parents, after we moved, they followed and retired out in Los Angeles. So we, you know, there was no, there was nothing in the, in terms of my family. Uh, have
0: you, have you brought Susan home to Indiana to, so that she could see where you grew up?
3: You know, funny enough, she knows. Uh, I have not is the quick answer. Uh, just because my family, we're all out here. Uh, I have some cousins, uh, but they they've come to visit us, uh, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, actually, we do owe a pilgrimage. I mean, I think they need to see where I grew up, and uh, you know, they being your wife I, and daughter, Lincoln, right? where I where I went to college, and the whole thing. Um, but Susan actually worked. She, she did a play uh, in, at, uh, at the Indiana Repertory Theater in Indianapolis. And we kind of, and the crazy thing is, and this is a decade before we met, uh, my parents saw Susan on stage. They were, they were season ticket holders to the repertory company and saw the play. It was a Tom Stopper play. And they remembered the play and they remembered her too, which is wow. about as small a world as you can get, right?
0: Amazing. Six yeah. degrees, right? And we think, and the world is getting smaller because of technology too, which is exactly amazing.
3: But so we had, we had no thing, you know, my family, her family, we went back to Baltimore. We ended up eloping. We went to Bali and got married in a little Buddhist temple in Bali, just the two of us. And uh, we had a big party though, in Baltimore with all her people where she grew up and uh, what was I, that like? What um, was that
0: like for you? Were you like uh, a handful, the handful of white people at Susan's gathering?
3: You know, I had had, yes, it, it was me walking into a black world and being the the lone. Actually, it was me and uh, her, one of her brothers married, uh, was married to a white woman at the time. So it was, you know, just was, the two uh, of you. Yeah, it was it was the photo negative of of the kind of life that Susan had lived in in a lot of different circumstances, right? Um, I, for me, I, I had I, I had some black friends in in high school that I spent a lot of time with, and and I was the lone white guy at black parties. How uh, are
0: you? How how did you handle being around her family? Because this isn't just hanging out; you are being like yes, studied yes. and checked out. Yeah,
3: well, you know. It's funny. I I I've thought about this a, a decent bit, kind of leading up to being with you uh, today, uh, kind of especially given everything that's going on right now, and how my kind of sense of my own whiteness and my white privilege has how it's played in our relationship. Um, how you know, has very, it
0: played in your relationship? Well,
3: well, so you know, visiting her family, I knew I was, you know, I was, I was being uh, reviewed. Vetted. Yes, I was being vetted and I think I, you know, I, I passed. We I have a great relationship with everybody in our family. And I I feel like I did well, you know. I, I have no idea what the conversations were like, uh, you know, after the fact, but uh I, I think I passed. Uh but uh, uh, I uh I love my in-laws. They're 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 fantastic people too. But um, you know, in general, I, I gotta say that and this is a point of distinction, I think, between Susan and I, uh particularly relating to what's going on right now uh you know part i've been aware of our the the fact that we're a mixed race couple when we walk into a, a space together as a couple it occurs to me that people register that and it occurs to me whenever we're out with my daughter too that 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 is the first thing people notice and check um you know but I kind of leave it there, but I, I I gotta say, and, and I don't, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't, I think it affects Susan more than me in a way. Uh, I think that's maybe part of my white privilege is that I, I can walk through the world without caring quite as much. Mm. And I don't think, I think it, I think Susan is uh, her, her antenna are much more tuned.
0: Right. Well, while I don't mean to interrupt, I do want to just sort of, I was thinking about this too in leading to this conversation with you uh, lovely men, is uh, in a way, you guys are at the top of this pyramid, right? You've got the white man. There's no one above you other than God, if you believe in God. Okay, right? That's a concept. And then black women, say what you will, tend to always be at the very bottom, the, the the least, the most marginalized group. So between our gender and our skin color, there is this constant, we are hyper aware of everything and we have to be. From, you know, God forbid you are mistreated and you are decide to protect yourself. Suddenly you're like, whoa, angry black woman here, you know. <laughs> so I understand that you, and I thank you for acknowledging and even being aware of the fact that you can get through life and navigate life and not care or be so as aware and that your wife in fact has this job of not only does she have to be aware of it for herself, but she has to do it for your daughter too now.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, And, and, yeah. and I think especially, you know, just one more little comment uh, about this. Uh, I think right now one of the things I realize, I mean, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm as woke as a, as a white guy who's, who doesn't walk a mile in, in a black man's shoes can be, you know, in terms of empathy and, and my relationships and, and my sensibilities around, um, you know, what's happening in, in our culture right now. Um, but it doesn't hit me as viscerally as it does my wife, like emotionally, like she, her reactions, I'm, I'm outraged by what I'm seeing and I'm I'm impassioned, but, not to the depth that she is. And that's been, it was easier earlier in our relationship. We were always kind of on the same page and I felt that way, but this has been eye-opening to me that I've had to be a different kind of partner for her through some of this and realize that the depth of penetration of what's happening right now is, is just, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bear witness to and be supportive of.
0: Great. And that's, sometimes that's what you have to do. You just have to be a witness. That's all you can be. Craig, I, you were sort of shaking your head when uh, we were, when, when uh, we, Tom and I were saying how, well, actually I was saying that we were on top of, white men were at the very top and black women were at the bottom. You disagree?
1: Uh, I, because I don't consider myself just white. So that's What do what you I've consider heard. yourself? Well, I was raised Jewish. So, it's you know, like, I mean, the thing that the 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 racism that I've experienced about being Jewish usually comes in groups where they don't know.
0: What and, do you mean? I don't know. They don't know that you are Jewish.
1: Yeah.
0: I have a question, and this yeah. is a soci- sociological question that I've often pondered. I was taught that Judaism is a faith it's a religion but it sounds like a lot and this is this is you're not the first person to do that Jews tend to go we are a race of people is are you really a race though in my opinion yes
1: no but then i'm i'm not of the belief that there's anything more than one race but that's my that's how i approach it but i'm not from
0: here You're from Toronto, Canada.
1: And it's different. It's really different. Like Toronto specifically, like if you go to Western Canada, it's like Texas. It's, you know, it's much more, my kind of awareness of this stuff happened as a kid because of the Canadian government. So like, um, I remember there was in the seventies, there was a huge wave of immigration from, Uh, India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, and also from uh, Vietnam and Cambodia in two big big waves, very close to each other. And Canada took in a vast majority of those people. Um, And with that came a lot of racist jokes. As a kid, I remember that suddenly there was like all these racist jokes towards those people. And then soon after, I remember seeing this TV commercial from the Canadian government and it was like a shot of like we are right now in the zoom call a head and shoulder shot of a person and they were on screen long enough to say the single worst racial slur about themselves that they could one word or two and they each you know very visually you could see what they were representing and then the word And it was like 40 people in 24 seconds or whatever and then the screen would go black and it said which one are you it's racism hurts everyone, government of Canada. And they did this like as a massive campaign in the the the, uh, the subways and the buses. They would take over whole subway cars and put each of the faces with the word into the doors. It was like, which one are you, racism hurts everyone. And there was a shift. I remember feeling a shift.
0: It sounds like the, your, the government in Canada has done, did some public, uh, what do you call those, those public services to help mm-hmm. educate the population. So mm-hmm. I'm going to shift and center the conversation a little bit because you have this really interesting perspective. Here you are, white, from a from Canada, Toronto, and here you are now in this country, the United States, uh, married to a black woman. Now, I I shared a portion of an essay Mona wrote on for KCRW uh, last week uh, where she, it's about, here we go again. She was around for the LA riots in 92. And then at some point, I'm guessing you read this because you probably read everything she writes. uh, There are about three paragraphs where she talks about how it's impacting her relationships with you and Mm -hmm. how at the time she was angry and frustrated and just, she couldn't, she didn't feel like she can get you to understand what she's experiencing you are aware of this, right? Mm -hmm. And you've had those conversations, those tough conversations. How are you, because focusing on just your relationship with her only, Mm -hmm. how have you been able to shift your conversations in a way that uh, displays both, you know, empathy and this understanding or you're having to learn a new way of seeing things through different lenses because of what's happening?
1: Um, well, first of all, unlike Tom, it, I do have a visceral, visceral reaction to all of these things that we're seeing, but I think like I'm more of an empath kind of, I mean, I don't know Tom, so I don't know how he is, but I mean, I'm like more than an average, I'm more, more of an empath than just whatever the other choices are. So, um, I do feel very emotional about these things. Um. but I think I really started to understand Mona's feeling of it. Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting that I could ever fully experience how it is for, you know, a person of color because I'm not right. So you can't, there's no way to fake it and find out. Um, But when the Trayvon Martin situation uh, happened in Florida and it, the way it hit her, that's I think where I really started to understand the level of impact that it has. Like, it's not, you know, here's a kid she never met in Florida that she has no relationship to and that she's feeling this. And it's like, it's not like, you feel when like your favorite rock star dies or something, you know, it's not that it's not that kind of feeling. It was more a feeling like she lost a family member.
0: Yeah. And that's the truth. Unfortunately for all of us, every time we as I, as I, as a black woman, when I see that, I can't help but feel that could be my son. That could be my brother. Um, it could be anyone and it's, it's quite painful to, to witness. Um, what are ways, have you found ways to, to, to talk to her and soothing words are there right words or how do you handle those moments of, cause I know men love looking. So your instinct first of all is to protect and to fix, right? This is just that's science. This is what you guys do. So are you able to... What do you do? Do you just step back, let her be? What's that like?
1: I'm learning, a little you know, of course, in the last four months. And I actually just got home. I had been away from Mona since a week ago. Not even, like, today's Saturday. And I came back Monday after four months almost exactly away from her. And um, just... completely not following my instincts in, <laughs> um, and, and just letting her keep trying to listen and hear what she has to say and let her say what she's feeling and not try to fix it. It's not fixable.
0: Yeah. It's you not, don't, you know, don't deny. It,
1: you know, it, it's, it's we're just at the like acknowledgement stage that there's a problem mm-hmm. like for for most people in this country it's it's like brand new information
0: which is surprising that it's brand new information it's, by it's the way
1: mind boggling to me right. i mean as you know as a canadian you come here and you watch television for 30 seconds and you go what the and you get american television you get it there so you it's not like but in terms of like the local even advertising, or the local news is where you really see stuff. Where it's like the lead of every story is what race a person is, and you're like, but does that have to do with anything? You yeah. don't do that in Canada. Like That's not, you know. I don't. So it's like I don't. There's definitely differences culturally that you kind of go, right. why? You
0: know? I'm I'm gonna hop over to Jeffrey now. Jeffrey, uh, as the <clears throat> Respectfully, I say this, but the most senior <laughs> member of our panel here—you've—you've <laughs> you've heard uh, Craig and Tom. I mean, share right. Yeah. Um, and how do you have you and Shirley gotten to a space now where this conversation doesn't really need to happen anymore because you both just know? Because you must have gone through this in thirty years, thirty-seven years of—you've seen a lot, right?
2: yes and um you know listening to craig and tom and also thinking about uh as tom had mentioned you know having thoughts about this uh leading up to um our meeting today and uh examining uh different things that uh craig has mentioned of, of recent events and uh, you know i would say that i have probably had A reawakening in a sense, thinking that I had solved all these problems for myself years ago. All of the newness of being the only white guy in the room, uh, all of the newness of um, being uh, in a crowd of Shirley's family and uh, at our wedding, there was, of course, Shirley's 85 people and my 10 you know and uh, and and but 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 back to the point though i i think that i thought that i had worked all this out in my head years ago and i guess i was also um uh, sort of a cockeyed optimist in terms of thinking that always thinking that we were further down this path than we are and i i find uh i find it uh very frustrating i find it very sad I get angry that um, so many people aren't woke to this. I, And yet, in that same breath, I think to myself, well, you know, how progressive are you, really? Do you get it? And I think that Shirley's family thinks that I get it. I think that they probably think that I get it maybe more than I really get it. But, you know, as Craig says, you can't, or Tom, you... You know, there's no way for me to walk in those shoes. So I think that if anything, in group conversations, in conversations with Shirley and her siblings, I, um, I'm i not shy about usually jumping into the conversation in the past. Uh, I, I do get politically riled up. and uh, But I would say in the past four months or so, I've done more listening than talking. I've taken that lead. You know, I've I've heard other people uh, on television or in podcasts. You know, refer to that, and I think that if anything, I've I've picked up on that. I I try to have a little bit less to say and listen a little little harder.
0: Mm. Jeffrey, you have a, a an interesting uh, situation in that you are raising a son. Your son is now twenty eight, I think. Twenty eight twenty eight do you does he identify as black
2: you know as I mentioned before we we he was born and raised in Culver City and and one of the beautiful things about living in a community that has uh, a, a, a really great cross section of of races um, is that I think my son was probably working on a on a book report on Martin Luther King when he was maybe six, seven years old. And I was literally, Shirley was helping with the book report. I'm thinking, okay, great. She's doing a great job. I'm in the kitchen washing the dishes. And I, I hear them in the background talking about this book report. And all of a sudden, Jordan put it together that his mom was the same color as Martin Luther King or the same skin tone as Martin Luther King. And out of the blue, I hear him go, oh, I'm black? and i i thought i my ears perked up and i thought oh where's this going you know and i guess you know it it's just one of those learning experiences along the way that just as people talk about prejudice having being having to be taught at a young age you know jordan's identity uh for him um wasn't even thought about until he was seven or eight years old and I think and he that,
0: discovered it on his own it seems.
2: Yeah, it was a it was a it was a I I'll never forget that moment. It was uh it was uh very um very comical and very heavy at the same time.
0: Did you feel left out?
2: No, no, no. I thought I thought in fact at that moment maybe it was more appropriate that I thought, well interesting that he's going to have this moment with his mom. And um and indeed you know, I think sometimes this conversation has to do with appearance also there's that whole you know uh there's that whole spectrum of acceptance in the community of lightness and darkness and features is- and you know exactly and and uh, uh um, oddly enough, Jordan grew up to really resemble his grandfather, who was probably uh, half black and half Filipino. So here he's got a a brown-skinned mom, a really white dad, and our son looks Filipino. Um, So it's a, you know, it is what it is. Uh, um, But I think that he culturally identifies as the future, I would like to think, of this country. He identifies as a multiracial child multicultural child. He's had numerous influences from many different angles. He's uh, spent a fair amount of time in Asia. And um, I think that for Jordan, he really has the gift of feeling included in many different races, many different cultures.
0: As far as far as you know, Jeffrey, has he ever had the experience, the uh, black man experience of being pulled over and, and profiled? And have you had to have that tough conversation that every parent has to have with a black child?
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting question because when we were in grade school uh, doing PTA work and this and that, we ended up with this group of people that did the volunteer work. And we were like, well, you know what? We should do something other than just volunteer work together. Let's hang out. And we went camping. And, of course, around the campfire that night, <clears throat> being where we live, we realized that we had um, three of the five families were multi-racial, multiracial. One of the families was Jewish. And uh, it was... Um, it was interesting because that conversation and our children at that time were young, five, six, seven years old. But that conversation came up around the campfire between the two of the black dads and having that, have you had that conversation with your child yet? And I, of course, this gets back to me thinking that I know maybe more than I know or feel more comfortable in the community than I really uh, should. Um, it came up that, I didn't know what they were talking about. And of course, my father had that conversation with me in as much as, hey, if you ever get pulled over, make sure your hands are on the wheel, say yes, sir, no, sir, and be respectful and carry on. Of course, with a multiracial child or a child at that time that would have been uh, referred to as black, it takes on an entirely different dimension and so it was an educational moment for me and i think soon after that i broadened my conversation with jordan i actually thought about uh having one of these two dads have the conversation with my son from their perspective but uh jordan's a good kid and he's um he's smart in that how he moves through the world and he doesn't look for trouble so this was not an issue for me, but that's but not to say... But you had that talk. That I did have that talk. And, and it's not to say that I have newly awakened worries and concerns with this bout of societal reversal that we seem to be going through. Everybody's anxious on many different levels right now, whether it's being shut in, whether it's listening to this jackass that's running the country, uh, awakening old, obviously not deeply buried, racism, but racism that ten or fifteen years ago was not as openly referred to by this segment of the community of society. So, uh, I, I actually had that talk again with my son recently. I said, "Look, you, you've got to be aware that somehow some some of these racist." people somehow feel as though they have a a new license or entitlement to how they feel and they're they're acting out so you need to be aware of that
3: Hmm.
0: is that painful yes It's it's painful to hear
2: it's painful to it's painful to know because god knows i thought we were further down this road than we are and and i i'm I'm uh, I'm I'm saddened by it almost to tears.
0: Yeah. Frankly. I can imagine. And you know, it's sadly, it isn't just our men. It's our daughters too. It's it's women. It just it's pervasive. It is what it is. Having said that, thank you, Jeffrey. Um Tom. Yes. You have a daughter? I do. Have you had those concerns that?
3: You know, it's interesting. Uh, She's 13. So she is right at that age. She's about to start high school. In some ways, she's very sophisticated for her age. Um, In other ways, she's still a child. And um, in terms of racial consciousness, uh, on the one hand, and then kind of a fig understanding what she's seeing on our television screen every day um right now. Uh I she I think she's in a formation period where she's really kind of coming to terms with uh with her own race and how it relates to what she's seeing. I I, I don't think she's had to um over the last you know 13 years as much as uh, perhaps a boy would or or kids in another circumstance she's she's kind of been raised in a
0: sheltered you know, and protected
3: yeah and she i mean she she grew up for her first six years in a we lived on a street in silver lake where i mean this the, the kids she played with this was literally like five houses, all within a house or two of each other. There was a, a us, a white man and a black woman, a black man with a white woman and, and a mixed race child, an Iran, Iranian woman and a British man and a child, um, an Asian woman and a white man. And this was this was just the neighborhood kids. Every kid was a mixed race kid. So that was kind of the first grounding, and that's that's unique, right? Um, it's it's going to be less and less unique uh, question as we march into history but yes. my
0: listeners will be upset with me if I don't ask that was it intentional how do you go about looking for housing as an interracial couple do you think of these things ahead of time
3: wow that's a really good question Greg
0: um, I, w- I will ask you that question too yeah
3: you know what I, I, I intentional it was kind of unintentionally intentional if if I if I can uh, we Susan and I lived I lived up in Topanga when we met, uh, pretty white up there. Uh, then we moved and rented a place in Pacific Palisades, which is as white as it gets. And it felt way too white for us, honestly. Just be, you know, Susan wanted to be around, see people, see herself reflected in her community. And, and you know, it was, it was, we were there for particular reasons. But when we bought a house, when we moved to Silver Lake, we were intentionally going, I, I don't know that we were thinking mixed race children for our, 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 you know, we were pregnant at the time uh, for our daughter to play with, but we were thinking about being in a, uh, in an environment that was, that was uh, a little more culturally mixed for sure. And then the, the outgrowth of that would be, you know, what I just described to you with my, with my daughter's kind of first playmates. But then after age six, we, we lived for uh 6 years up in uh a small mountain town up in the Sierra Nevadas we we took a little adventure where we uh uh yeah we we were mountain people and my daughter i mean a total 180 we my my wife and daughter were i mean you know maybe one of 10 people of color in a community, sometimes less, you could probably count them on one hand once in a while, depending on the day. And my daughter became a, a, an Alpine ski racer. I mean, the kind of the ultimate white Nordic kind of pursuit. Right. Um, And so she lived in this very white world and it didn't, it didn't really affect her that much. I, I mean, I've asked her, believe me, I'm not just projecting that on her she she and and she has a mother who insisted that jet magazine was in our house that there were images of of proud, accomplished black people everywhere she turned that that she had that kind of representation around her, even in this six year hiatus where we were living in a very white place um, but i I think she always felt pretty secure in her and in, in her individuality now, I did have a conversation with her. Uh, two weeks ago. And I asked her very specifically how she was feeling about what was going on right now and how she thought about herself and her own race. I asked her very specifically. And uh, she said, she said, well, I think every generation has their one big thing. It seems like every very snappy answer, right? Smart, snappy answer. I was impressed. Um, she's like, every generation has their one blow up, their one thing that galvanizes everybody and, and, and makes people aware. And I guess this is ours. And then I said, but how are you feeling about your identity? And for the first time ever, she called herself black. Mm-hmm. I had never heard her actually say that about herself. She's always Maya, mixed race Maya, unique Maya. You know, she's always I think she's and Susan's been very uh, uh, kind of intent on helping Maya cultivate a a uniqueness about her mixed race identity and who she is and that it's important to be uh, unique and it's okay to be weird. And it's okay to be uh, different. different. Um, And she's she's gotten that from the beginning. But this was the first time she called herself black. And I, I was it was it was really curious and i don't know if that's her understanding herself relative to what's going on now or her discovering her blackness it's go, it remains to be seen
0: how did you handle that first of all how did you feel did did your ears perk up did you feel like uh, a, a gut reaction and then how did you continue the conversation or did you just retract and just go just leave it alone
3: you know it's a, that's a really that's a really good question because my and of course this comes from my identity. The way I react, that the way I'm answering your question, I'm very proud to be married to who I'm married to, and I'm very proud to have this young lady that's my daughter, and I'm proud of their blackness. I'm proud that that's what we've created this dynamic, um, and so I felt pride. When she said that, I didn't, I I mean, if I, I I suppose I could be fearful of it. I could be, there's a lot of different reactions I could have. I could, I could, I could be like, oh, she's identifying with the pain maybe that's, that, that, that's, you know, that Susan is too. I wonder if she's feeling um, implicated in this dynamic in a way that I'm not, you know, Um, you know, there's a lot of different reactions I could have, but my initial one was probably and just her, I want her to fully discover herself. I want her to fully um, connect to the history that's available to her. I, I in my studies, I, I spent the better part of five years. I was in, I mean, this is totally unrelated to me meeting and being with Susan, but I, one of my specialties at, in graduate school was African-American literature. I taught it and I Studied it, and I, I'm, I'm very aware of of the tradition that is awaiting her, the historical tradition, the cultural and the and the artistic tradition that's waiting for her to unpack and relate to. So my, I, I had a, I had a strong, positive reaction to that.
0: Interesting.
1: You, you, when you were talking to Tom about like meeting the family kind of thing, I have a like kind of a good. Yeah,
0: let's hear it. Let's hear it. Share.
1: So so the first time I go to meet, like, the rest of my family, like, her parents were different. Like, interesting. Her mom instantly loved me. It was great. Her dad had a problem with me, and it didn't have to do with my skin. It had to do with my religion. He's a devout Christian. I was raised Jewish. The only question he had was, like, where are, we were barely dating. He's like, well, how would you raise your kids? Would they be Christian? That's all he cared about. Didn't care about anything else. Just saying, like, there's that. But so then I meet her family, who's like her dad's middle brother and his young kid. There's three brothers. So the two brothers were there. We're at the middle brother's house in Maryland for Thanksgiving. So it's the whole extended family, all the cousins, aunts and uncles, grand aunts. So I'm there, and all of a sudden, Uncle Gil, whose house it is, says, do you play cards? Well, I happen to play cards. I play a lot. Like my grand grandparents both played cards. They taught me every kind of cards. I know all the, like the, pardon the pardon the word. I I think all cards need to have this, this word changed, but any games that have Trump in them, um, you know, like hearts and, yeah. space and whatever. Right. So he's like, do you know how to play bidwist?" I'm like, never heard of bidwist." He's like, <laughs> He's like, do you know hearts? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you know spades? Do you know? Di-? I'm like, yeah. And I know a couple games you never heard of. That after. He's like, okay, well, here's how it works. And he tells me, like, okay, I can do that. He goes, okay, we're partners. So in Bidwist, I don't know if you guys, do you guys know Bidwist? Mm-hmm. You know yeah, Bidwist? I don't. It's, it's, it's kind of like like a partner game like Bridge where you're like across from your partner. You know what you have, but you have to kind of figure out by what they're playing, you have to play off them and you're playing teams. And it's like a... Winner continues kind of thing. And I have, so I'm playing with Uncle Gil, who's like the house. It's his house. It's kind of a big deal. And I've got the two grand aunts, one over each shoulder, watching me. I'm sitting there in the first couple of games, and, like, they see me taking the cards, and then I grab a card, and everyone's like, oh, you shouldn't play that. And the other one's going, no, he knows what he's doing. And he's like, I don't think so. And it's like they're commenting the whole time, right? Anyway. Gil and I did not lose a hand. We held the table all night, and I was in the family after that. <laughs> uh,
0: well, welcome. That's how you got in, huh?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's my meeting the family
0: story. So you heard, um, obviously, you heard uh, both Jeffrey and Tom share what it's like raising their children yeah. um, with these special sets of circumstances <laughs> um, and how it impacts today. Uh, you and Ma, Mona do not have a child yet. Do you consider in terms of where you're going to live? Or do you have to navigate through where you'll vacation, for instance? Do you have to consider all of... Do you consider all of these things when making these decisions?
1: I mean, for sure, you know, we live in Eagle Rock, which is northeast L.A. And, you know, we're hardcore eastsiders now. We Our first four years, I guess we lived in Culver city right near Jeffrey. And we loved it cause it was a multicultural block. Like everybody was different like us. So that was cool. Um, and then uh, we moved to long beach, which we liked a lot cause it was pretty mixed and cool and whatever. And then we moved to silver Lake and that was pretty mixed and good. And we moved to, Eagle Rock, and we we love Eagle Rock. Like, it's it's old school still, most of it. I mean, it's definitely going through the change <laughs> that a lot of LA is, but a lot of it's still, you know, how it's been for a, a while. So it's still nice and multicultural and.
0: So it isn't something that is a special consideration.
1: No, I I think it is. I'm saying that it is. I it's like when you know, the places that we chose, I definitely, those are considerations. I mean, there also were, we have a tight group of friends. Um, and, the, you know, we all now live in this area, like within three or four miles of each other. And in our circle of like, I don't know, 12 people, or maybe a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Mostly couples, there's a couple of singles in there. So, it, you know, we kind of are gravitating to a, where we all live but we're all kind of mixed too like there's a lesbian couple in there and there's a couple mixed couples and like you know not everybody's the same it's so we're a mixed group in the first place so I guess we're you know the areas that we fit and it's not hard in LA to find areas that have a lot of mixed people I mean it's it's pretty easy to find very homogenous areas too but you know we got, we definitely talk about it. We've talked about it like we like we want to live in places that reflect us and our experiences
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Mona interestingly grew up you know ten minutes from here in Altadena, which ah. is you know yeah. pretty mixed now and was then, I guess too. but
0: So Mona, Mona does something very interesting for a living. She is a reporter on on dining in Los Angeles and, you know, the cannabis industry and all that fun stuff. Um, Is there ever any sort of strange experiences when you go and join her at her job, which is to go eat? Not a bad job to go eat. I,
1: I think it takes people a minute sometimes to realize like, you know, she's talked about my husband, my husband, she likes to. You know, she's very personable and shares and stuff. And so a lot of times I show up and then it's like, if it wasn't relevant to the conversation that I'm any particular color of human, um, then I show up and then they're like, they introduce me and they meet me like, oh yeah, whoever this dude is. And then it's like, this is my husband. And then you see it takes a beat sometimes and they're like, huh? And then after they were there for like 15 minutes and they see us together, then they like, Oh, I get it now. Mm. And people have actually said that to me where they meet us and they're like, how did that happen? You know, just visually, like they look at us, they don't, you know, don't know us. Right. And they're like, what do you two, how, how did this, you know? And then they, experience us for a little bit. And they're like, Oh yeah, get it.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting gentlemen, that that's even a, a conversation that has to happen. That, that race is, we have to talk about that. Do you, when you talk about your wife, do you go, my wife who is black?
1: Hmm. Not, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I do that less with my Canadian. I mean, my Canadian friend, I don't remember even having that conversation.
0: But like, do you say, do you have to say that <laughs> here? in the united states you have to it's it's it, it seems
1: i i don't say it i don't offer like if it's relevant and sometimes the what i consider relevant is like if i'm speaking about a particular subject that is relevant where i say well my wife does this and she's got this experience you know what i'm saying like it's not like
0: so you don't go. Yes, I'm married to a black woman. Nice to meet you. That's not the first thing you say.
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting too because I also find I don't, I don't have, you know, I think people expect you to have a filter here, like, and and maybe even Canada too. But I'm just saying, like, when I see a person of color, I just talk to them like I talk to anybody. And my wife knows this about me. I, and I'm, I will talk to strangers out of the blue. I, I you know, like, a, it's just, I'll crack jokes and do stupid stuff. Like, and one of my friends said to me, you can't just go up to strange, I'm like, yeah, I know. I have to remember that black people don't know that I'm an ally. Like I don't,
3: yeah.
0: Now, you know, now, but let me ask you something. I'm glad you threw that word ally in. Are you an ally because you are married to Mona? Or are you an ally, period?
1: I'm an ally, period. I I, I don't, my parents, it's like, I think I, I had a very similar experience as Jeffrey. I grew up in, in Canada in the 60s. And my parents, my mom was like, you know, they were like progressives, like super lefty, liberal, like, Justin Trudeau's dad is their God kind of thing. Like it's, <laughs> and if you know anything about Canadian politics, mm-hmm. like he's the, the Canadian equivalent of the way this country looks at Ronald Reagan, but he's like the, 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 the yin and the yang. He's like the, the, the social program darling. He's the guy who, who did those things about.
0: Healthcare.
1: Healthcare. And, and well, health, yeah. And also the thing I was talking about where like explaining Culture to people and letting people like you know having the government be active in explaining that other cultures are the same that just looked
0: he helped eradicate xenophobia or at least yeah, he he made an effort
1: there's no eradicating it people naturally you're afraid of what you don't know for the unknown period is that's the thing right i mean
0: how 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 would you tell someone how would you teach someone or suggest to someone who came to you and said I would like to be an ally. I'm white. What do I do? What would you tell them to do?
1: Well, like, I mean, Google is your friend. That's a writ. Really, like, there's so much available. It's not like, I am not an expert teacher of what makes somebody an ally. I'm only navigating that. I'm not an expert at it. I'm not perfect at it. I don't even know if I'm good at it. Um, but you know, I can, it's funny. Like I've had interesting experiences. Like I've worked on, a, on a couple of, you know, black television shows. I work in post-production blackish and a show called the quad and both. And, and another, I've, I actually have worked on a thing at BET too, like in BET and stuff. And, and I remember when I was at BET and I was like, I had this guy who was my assistant and he was perfectly capable and qualified and I'm like dude why aren't you an editor why are you assisting you've been doing this for a while like what the fuck and this is BET and you should be like I'm looking around there's one black guy and five white guys like what the fuck never mind where are the women so like oh I am not supposed to be swearing it's,
0: right it's called what the fuckery of course you can swear <laughs> oh carry on
1: okay okay so so and and I kind of was like trying to get and uh, you know whatever anyway then I, at the quad, I ended up having to. I came in to, you know, part way through as an assistant, and then I got bumped up to editor to finish the last episode, and then they didn't ask me back the next season. And I was like, I get it. They better have black people cutting this show because it's a culturally black show, and you need to understand the nuance. It's important.
0: But do you, you know if they, that's what they did?
1: That's what they did, yeah. And okay. people are like, well, you know, like that's why. And it and then on blackish, I came in like right like the Prince episode in season five, if you remember that. So it was the third episode of the season. And uh and I was on for the rest of the whole season, and the editor I was working with and I killed it, and we were like it was really good. And then we ended up taking over the the mixed-ish pilot. And that's when um, Kenya came in. Kenya wasn't involved really with the show, but he came in because of the pilot. And I know, and he looked around and he went, why is there, I mean, these two guys are on my pilot. And then the other two guys in the other room are, there's four white guys on my fucking show. So at the end of the season, they wait. And the thing that bugs me, they waited a while, but like they called me and they're like, we're not going to have you back. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, the producers want to go in a different direction. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, we killed it. What are you talking about? And it's like, after I have fun, I'm like, oh, yeah, makes sense. And my black family members are going, but yeah, but that's not fair. And I'm like, well, yeah, but this isn't about being fair. It's about what's right. And they're like, no, but you're an ally. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be the one that gets second. You I'm should like,
0: have said you were married to a black woman. Shut up. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm
1: no, kidding. No, 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 no the point the point of it is the point of it is
0: i'm listening
1: what does need to happen it's what needs to happen right there's no how do you have a show called blackish with no fucking
0: black people in the fucking post production department see that makes you a true ally right there what you just said but that's
1: that's as good as i am at it like i'm not like
3: i understand you
0: know you it's an actual proactive step you are no, walking I, your talk no. no no you're walking your talk all right, i did was
1: accept what happened that's all i did okay i didn't do anything i just accepted what happened right hello
0: all uh, right so we are going to and i'm going now i'm asking i'm going to ask jeffrey jeffrey the same question um, ally how does how would you suggest or tell someone they ought to be an ally.
2: You know, I uh, I agree with Craig. I don't know. I mean, I'm a I'm a full-on card-carrying ally. But but uh, I don't know how you would teach somebody that. Other than I also really believe that I, I related very much to what you said about its exposure it's breaking down people's fear, their ignorance, you know? So honestly, I, I, I know this sounds kind of odd, but if I was a white person who had never had exposure to the community and I was watching what was going on now and I said to myself, wow, I, I wish I could understand this more. I, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you do? Look for a protest group to join so that you can be in the environment. But, but that's exactly it. Put yourself in an environment where you can listen. And that old saying of, uh, was it Maya Angelou? When people tell you who they are, believe them. You know, when I, my biggest frustration is watching uh this this the these the, the, these racist people be interviewed uh yesterday there was a guy on in branson missouri i think young guy and he's exasperated and frustrated and talking to the reporter and saying i don't understand what the big deal is there's no racism here in branson and he's standing next to a guy that's got a swastika tattooed on the back of his neck and i i just think to myself okay so what do you do how do you how do we as a society lead this guy who uh grew up in a much more um um <laughs> racially invigorated community than i did how do how do you get through to this guy and tell him no this is not just a a bunch of people feeling disenfranchised and taking to the streets this is an honest to god thing that that just keeps going round in cycles and this is just the latest iteration of it it's it it, the only like many people have said and maybe this is the secret and maybe this is why there are so many white people out protesting these days is one of the even in this moment of despair and I, i i i i take um a great amount of comfort in the fact that when you look at these groups of people protesting on TV, there's a a, a a lot of white people, a lot of young white people in the crowd, and I think to myself, oh, okay, well maybe finally this is going to turn a corner, the corner that I thought we turned. That's it. Back
0: way back, thought, way back in the sixties, seventies, yeah. Way back,
2: and and yet you know, and yet if. If people learn in the Midwest, um, if people from where Tom is originally from in Indiana, which is 110% white, if they can look at the TV and go, oh, oh I, I see, this is different. This must be a problem because look at all those white brothers and sisters of mine out there sort of blending in and lending their their numbers to be counted. And uh, uh, I I can only hope that As we go forward, you know, every time this comes to um, a larger situation like it is now, I can only hope that it's a teaching moment for where we're headed in the future.
0: Tom, are you hopeful about the future?
3: I am. I'm extremely hopeful about the future. Um, this is you know this is a this is a painful moment we 're experiencing right now, and I, I I feel it myself I see it through my wife 's uh, kind of experience and and my daughter 's kind of emerging sensibilities um, but when I look at her and the way she and her friends interact and um, and also and this may be this is kind of what Jeff was getting at with my old brothers and sisters from Indiana. Um, my, if you saw my social network, it's, 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 it's a sociological experiment. I mean, it's like all my lefty California academia people and then all my people that I grew up with. And it's, uh, there's, there's some divergent streams there. Um, and uh, what I witnessed, though, is I, I, I see a, a lot of people that I grew up with who I kind of know where they are. very religious, some of them, very conservative, some of them, very Trumpy, some of them. Hard to to look at their feeds once in a while. Um, But their children, when you see their prom photos, when you see those, they're with black kids. In Indiana? Yes. Wow. And these are people you would not expect to see that from, judging from their parents. it's all over my social media feed their children are doing it their children are starting to break down some of the barriers that their parents just assumed would persist um i mean we live in a kind of a more progressive place and and time it's almost time shifted in a way in in la um for sure. But I am seeing evidence of it in even where I come from. And and it's not to say, look, I, I, I have a very, as you could imagine, a complicated relationship from where I come from. A lot of love there too. Uh, and a lot of respect, a lot of problems that I escaped, you know, and a lot of things that, that, that uh, caused me to live the life that I li- lead now. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful across the board, and I'm that way anyway. I'm kind of that guy, in general. Um, but you know, in terms of how I'm an ally and what I think the future holds, uh, I'm—I can't claim to be a frontline warrior in any way. I would never do that. I've always understated my role in this. Like, it is the case that I'm raising a black. Child, it is the case that I live with race every day and every minute in my household. It is the case that I'm in the middle of it, but I'm a white guy. As we discussed, I I I I've, I always play. I always understate I feel like that's my place. I'm like I'm an ally when you need me. I'm I'm at the marches. I'm 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 there. Uh, I could do more, and I struggle with that a little bit. But really, my role is to raise this child and to support this wife of mine who's an artist and who's finding her way and her kind of expression. And, you know, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of the way I, 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 I chop it up. I mean, I, I think we all could do more. It's, I, I gotta tell you, it's, it's hard. I, I witness this every day for African-Americans to make their way through a white world. It's, and it's not an equal challenge. But in a small way, a white man trying to kind of find his place in this dynamic that the three of us are in, this this racially mixed dynamic, it's it has its own unique challenges, you know, and uh they're they're lighter, they're much lighter. But yeah. they're still there's still challenges. Um
0: right. Do you do you have a challenge you want to share that comes to mind?
3: Um yeah, well, I, I will say that I am uh I am without a que- without question. We said this earlier in the conversation. I'm the guy. I'm the fix guy. I, I, I'm just. I'm the fix it, uh, heal the pain, help help my wife contextualize things. Right? It's like, yeah. Even even in the midst of an intractable problem, I'm like, well, we can we can figure out how to be okay with this, right? We can figure out how to be whole and, and I, I, I fail more now than I used to, you know, it's just harder, it's harder, and, and just like Jeff said earlier on, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just listening more, and I'm, I'm much more aware of my own, you know, levels of, of uh, ignorance that I didn't realize I, I had, I thought I was as woke as they get, I'm not, you know, I, I have levels that I'm, Understanding and seeing daily now—it's just the dynamic is everything's so raw right now, and and I think we, Susan and I and our daughter got away with not having to see the wound, right? We 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 just kind of walked through the world and had a pretty good time of it and loved each other and uh, you know had little flashpoints, but not like this. So I'm I'm in a like. The other guy said I'm in a kind of period of re-examination right now as well.
0: Are you are you any of you at all? And feel free to jump in, or this isn't necessarily for you, but this is something to think about. And I, I may know the answer to this, and so don't take offense. Other than who you love and who you're with and who you're planning on spending the rest of your lives with, or as much of it as possible, you are still a white male right are are you having any sort of ambivalence about your position in the food chain so to speak you know cuz do, do you get what i'm asking guys i am asking are you is there any sort of threatening to threat to your position all right jeffrey you're going to answer hang on
2: You know, um, I think that, uh, you know, without sounding like a flaming liberal, uh, I think that we're, uh, I I buy into that, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And I was relating to what Craig said. Um, I work in commercial production on the set. And. 25 years ago, when I started in this business, I came home to Shirley and I was like, wow, this really does not reflect society. It's an entirely white world because fathers had brought their sons in, had brought their sons in, and that's who worked in the world. In the time that I've spent in that environment, it has become uh, much more multiracial, multicultural. And I'm sure that there are guys that I work with that might have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about that. But the majority of people that I work with, white people that I work with, welcome it, realizing that, you know, we do better together than apart. And if, you know, I appreciated the fact that Craig told that story and didn't tell it with an edge of resentment. Mm. Because, you know, I think the bottom line is, is that at this moment in time you know we have as 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 white people we have to adjust to the fact that there are going to be that things might be a little different and when i read an article about a tv show that needs to have a black showrunner i think to myself yeah you know that makes perfect sense or i'm encouraged that those inroads are being made. Are they at the expense of other people, um, that are equally as qualified? You know, it, that's a relative, that's a relative, uh, that, that should, um, relative is the wrong word. That, 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 that's multifaceted. You know, the, the fact is, is that, uh, I just think that when I see minorities in this country, uh, uh, rising to positions of management, rising to positions of ownership, uh, I just think that that bodes well for all of us down the road. Because, look, I mean, use the present moment as an example. The guy that has the biggest megaphone uh, in the game right now is, is trying to break us down And the good news is, is like Tom, I I am optimistic. I think that he's ultimately going to be drowned out. But when I, yeah, no kidding, cross your fingers. But I, 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 uh, I don't know in the, I think of terms, I think in terms of in the big scheme of things, if I were a white guy that might not get my opportunity, uh, at the cost of, uh, balancing this in somehow, or, or helping this move forward. Maybe that's where I identify as the ally.
3: It's a, it's a trickier step to get to, uh, I think, for a lot of white people. I mean, my, my point of view, same, what Jeff's uh, suggesting is bring it black ascendancy, female ascendancy, bring it, bring it all. I'll find my way, bring it. Uh, But I think that's, I know that's, that's a there's a lot of white people I know who that would be the tripping point. They would follow up to that point. Like, yeah, acknowledge historical racism, acknowledge systematic racism in all these different areas. Acknowledge it all. But as soon as you tip the balance, whoa, that's too much. I don't understand that. Uh, I do, though. I'm, I'm all for it. Not, even, right. not even a
1: question. Incredible. Here in scarcity vibe, it's operating from a point that there's a limit to how much resource that there is. It's like if just because just using the film and television industry, an example, like we've just been talking about it for a second. Last year was the more TV, I think we hit 500 scripted TV series went into production last year, which is an all time ridiculous record. And it shows no sign of slowing down, especially with all the new streaming channels, blah, 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 blah. If there was ever a time for that industry to diversify in terms of the people who are doing things in it, now's the time because it's like, it's like saying that there's, you know, we're standing around a fire. Well, you're taking my room around the fire. We can all get the heat from the fire. Like it's,
0: <laughs> there's enough for everyone is what you're saying yeah. gentlemen you know they say uh, women love to talk right I'm ah. happy to report that you have outspoken all of the women <laughs> our conversation has gone on the longest
1: we win, yeah. we win.
0: you are the winners
1: <laughs>
0: all right so Listen, I I am so indebted and so grateful. Um, You have to know, Susan, your wife uh, said... Just said, it would be interesting if you heard from our husbands. And so right away she volunteered you. Mona was like, Oh, my husband loves to talk. Of course he's coming on. <laughs> and Shirley actually was like, I don't think my husband would do that. <laughs> no. And then fast forward to like she's like, He's in. And I was like, Woohoo! <laughs> so Thanks
2: for thanks for the invitation.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And it was, isn't this great, though? I yeah. Mean, Thank
1: you. yeah, this was so good. You guys are awesome, by the way. I'll prepare all like awesome. you. I pre, yeah. I, so, I, it's like I didn't even know I needed
0: this, and I needed this. Yes, you do. And I would urge you if you guys want to keep in touch and start your own club, feel free. Um, I can facilitate <laughs> by sending each other's emails. But, yeah. but, but listen to your wives' conversation. It's okay, well, movie. now
1: I will,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and then it's going to be interesting because yours will come out sometime next week. I'll let you know for sure when. And it'd be an interesting thing to hear. And you're going to hear your love story versus their version of your love story. Ooh, like the, you the won't get in trouble. Daily- <laughs>
2: <something written>. uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm already All right. shaking.
0: Uh-oh. Okay, so um, you guys are so wonderful. And I have to say, and this is me getting personal, When people have asked me what it was like, and I said, you know, I can't wait to meet these men because the way your wives have described you um, have made me sort of sad that I have not found this thing. The one thing, the number one thing these women have said about you guys that is just so endearing and special is your instincts to protect them. (laughs) Smile. It's a good thing. Okay. You're taking it for granted. You're assuming that every man goes around doing that. Mm. Such has not been my experience. Mm. I have had the misfortune. I've been engaged twice to white men, and I've had the misfortune of being the victim where the family's like, "Oh, absolutely not!" And the man going, I'm "So what? sorry, I can't do this."
1: Yeah. Well, so my their
0: loss. Thank you. Thank you. So having said that, I'm just so glad that I was able to um, meet people whose version of this story is positive and uplifting. And I although I've asked you all if you had hope, you do sound hopeful. And that gives me hope. And for that, I thank you, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Thank you.
0: Okay, maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fockeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page and everything is What the Fockery. So What the Fockery Twitter, What the Fockery Instagram, What the Fockery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even What the Fockery at com. Okay, now officially. Bye!